It is a Wednesday morning here on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days, a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network. We are, as always, recording from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Today, we go to Boston, where we preview the Boston Red Sox, and joining me to do so from Over the Monster, a part of SB Nation, it is Keaton DeRocher. Keaton, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Of course. And I'll say this, I hope that some Red Sox fans are happy because it has been a tumultuous couple of years, to say the least, and a team that was the best team in baseball at the end of 2018 is now a team that looks to be in rebuilding mode going into 2021. What is the overall feeling about the 2021 Red Sox, and is there any cause for excitement? Yeah, there, there still is. Um, I mean, not as much as we would have hoped, obviously, just being, you know, two years removed from um, like the best season in franchise history. Um, but yeah, there, there's certainly uh, things that that went wrong that were out of the team's control in 2020 that made it even worse. Uh, Chris Sale having Tommy John surgery, Eduardo Rodriguez missing the entire season due to COVID complications. So there is um, there wasn't a ton of optimism heading into the season, just as given the state of the team and then some things out of their control went wrong and made it worse. Uh, so we're certainly feeling better about 2021 than uh, we, you know, we were a few months ago. Um, but Rafael Devers, Xander Bogart, still the core of the team. Uh, Alex Verdugo coming off a really productive first year with the Red Sox. Uh, got some interesting uh, late season results in 2020 from pitchers like Tanner Houck and Nick Pavetta. That um, you know, if the if the glimpses come true in 2021, could be pretty interesting. So there, there are certainly things to be interested and look forward to. Um, also, uh, some young prospects, Tristan Casas, um, finally getting into some spring training action. Jaron Duran is killing it right now. So. Uh, things at least certainly look like they're trending upwards. What went behind the decision to bring back Alex Cora? Because it seemed like from the start that there was a possibility that once his suspension was over, that Cora was going to be coming back. Now, Heim Bloom was not the guy that hired Cora in the first place. That was Dave Dombrowski. But I guess the question that I have for you, Keaton, is given everything that happened and how the Red Sox basically got blown up because of what happened to Alex Cora, why did they want to bring him back? Yeah, so it actually is interesting because um, looking back at the press conference where they announced that they were mutually parting ways, um, it seemed pretty obvious that he was coming back. Um, some things that uh, my partner on the Over the Monster podcast and I talked about after that were um, that, I mean, they were overwhelmingly positive in their praise. Um, but, you know, stating that uh, specifically he was stepping away from the team for what happened with the Astros and not anything that was related to the Red Sox and what may or may not have happened with them. Uh, it, it seemed pretty obvious that they still intended to bring him back. And then during that press conference, they just kept praising him. Um, saying that he's going to be a great manager, uh, deserves a second chance and all that. Uh, obviously, hindsight being 2020, it, that really kind of seemed like the beginning. And then you hear players in spring training now, um, like Chris Sale and J.D. Martinez, never uh, stopped communicating with Cora all throughout the season last year. 
uh, sale through his rehab and JD Martinez, you know, through the ramp up to the, the shortened season and through it. So it really was kind of like he was never gone, but was just, he needed to to step away for a year because uh, major league baseball was going to suspend him for what happened with the Astros. Uh, and they were just kind of getting out ahead of it. And then um, I guess unintentionally, it turned out to be a pretty solid season for him to, to not be there in a, you know, a down shortened season due to COVID uh, if you're going to miss a season, I suppose that's the one to miss. But um, so a- after all that, it actually didn't really seem like much of a surprise at all that he was coming back. And uh, the ownership group uh, were all big fans of him when they hired him the first time. Players uh, were calling for him to be the the manager in return. Um, so it really was just kind of a you know foregone conclusion that he was going to come back, and naturally he is. I was a bit surprised because you, you pointed out that Dave Dombrowski was the one who hired him in the first place and Haim Bloom being the the GM uh, and you know, baseball operations guy, uh, not having the manager that he picked. I thought he would go through his own process and kind of, um, you know, Cora would be part of that. And if he felt like Cora would be the fit, he'd rehire him. Uh, but they really didn't do that extensive of a search really at all. Um when they before they ultimately brought Cora back, which just kind of added to the, it was just always going to be that way, and he was going to come back. So um, he is back. Uh, I think he's a great manager, so I'm happy about it. The players are obviously excited about it. He brings a lot to uh, the Red Sox dugout and relates to the players, and is a great players manager. So uh, if there's anything that can boost the mood coming off a, a yucky 2020, uh, he's going to be a big part of it. We are here with Keaton DeRocher of the Over the Monster podcast, a part of the SB Nation network here on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days, previewing the Boston Red Sox. At the end of the 2019 season, the Red Sox had an outfield that was considered one of the best young outfields in baseball in Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Andrew Benintendi. Well, welcome to the beginning of 2021, and all three of those guys are gone. We could rehash Mookie Betts and the reason behind that trade, all we want, and that trade is well in the past. There's no more crying over that. He's won a World Series with the Dodgers. What I'm a little bit more surprised about is that they, number one, traded Benintendi. They got a good return from him, and I'm really interested to see what you think about Franchi Cordero. But number two, Jackie Bradley Jr. is somebody that it seemed like never wanted to leave the Red Sox. And given the contract that he signed, and especially with a team like the Brewers that was never be able to outspend the Red Sox, I'm surprised that both of those guys are no longer in Boston. Yeah, the Benintendi trade surprised me um, a bit. And I'll get, we'll get into that first as the, the JPJ answer is, is really easy. But um, Benintendi had a bad second half of 2019, but his overall slash line was still pretty solid. Hit um, about 270, like 13 homers, 10 steals. Um, it was concerning to see a really consistent drop in his sprint speed season over season I mean, his rookie year he started out on the 84th percentile sprint speed his uh, first full season he was the 80th percentile and last year he was 43rd um that hurts a lot of things especially when he's you know supposed to be a, a power speed uh hitter on the base pass and if he's running at essentially like half the speed as he was when he initially came in, um, you know, that hurts the whole dynamic of his game. And that extends into his outfield defense and being able to cover um, 
you know, the areas of the field. However, playing left field in Fenway Park uh, is very small and something that he was very much capable of doing. Uh, had a down 2020, but he also had fractured ribs, uh, which is tough to, to overcome. So um, seeing that still his, his overall play in 2019 was good, regardless of a poor second half. I mean, we've seen players have poor halves of season all the time. Um, in 2019, the first month and a half, Rafael Devers was hitting about 200, but then he finished the season hitting uh, 311 with 35 homers and 90 extra base hits. So, you know, guys can can turn those things around. And he basically spent most of 2020 hurt. So I wasn't ready to, to quite give up on him yet, but I think it was more of, um, you know, being content with what you have or bringing in something, you know, shiny and new that, you know, might work out. I think most of the allure of Franchi Cudero is what the upside could be. Um, and he has, he's had his own injury history where he hasn't played a full season yet. Um, anywhere he's been in, in San Diego or, uh, I believe it was Cleveland and he just, uh, or, uh, Kansas city and, you know, everybody sees him as uh, he's a freakishly built athlete and no one can really deny that. And you see that in his ability to steal bases and just mash balls. And you think, oh, my God, this the potential here is just limitless. But through the course of, I think, about four seasons now, it's just hasn't come to fruition. So it's the Red Sox think they can get it right. They can finally get him healthy and see what he can do over a full season. And just the excitement of that outweighed the uh, – staying staying the course with Benintendi and so they decided to go for the the shiny new thing that coupled with um you know, it'll be interesting to see what the players to be named later are they get three of them two from Kansas City uh and one from the Mets it's a really interesting deal one because you never see that many players to be named later or unknown assets as a part of a deal um but also there was no major league or no minor league season last year so I think the assumption is that they've got a list of guys and the players to be named later was just giving the Red Sox a chance to scout them when there is actually a minor league season this year. So the expectation is that these players to be named later should be slightly better than your average run-of-the-mill player to be named later. And it just adds volume to the minor league system, which is something that really has been a focus of Bloom. So I think it was just the, you know them believing that they can turn Franchi Cordero into something close to what his ceiling is, as well as adding volume to restock the miners that they felt like that was the right move to make. And let me add this. I worked in the Kansas city Royals minor league system for a year. It is one of the deeper minor league systems in regards to pitching. So when you're looking at players to be named later, I think the Red Sox are probably going to look for a couple of higher level pitchers. I mean, they have, five first round picks first or second round picks from the last three years that have gotten all the way up to high a already i had one of them uh in the minors in alec marsh a second round pick out of arizona state and i think he has a chance to be a big leaguer and nobody talks about him because everybody's talking about brady singer paxton lynch jackson Co- or daniel lynch not paxton lynch talking about <laughs> really bad former denver bronco quarterbacks uh chris bubich jackson Coar. They've got a lot of depth in regards to pitching and probably some guys that I haven't even named off. But 
I think that for the Red Sox, having a trade partner like the Royals, especially given that the Red Sox minor league system has not been great over the past few years, is certainly something to look forward to in that you can get a couple of guys that will be able to contribute in the next year or two if you get them at the right time. Absolutely. It's a perfect match, too, because, uh, I mean, as you mentioned, the Red Sox system isn't all that spectacular, but particularly the pitching is not. And so it's a perfect matchup for uh, what the Red Sox needs are needs and wants are. So I'm definitely interested to see what the, the final result of this overall trade uh, is before I kind of you know put my final grade on it. But I guess I understand from the Red Sox point of view why they made it. Um, I just wasn't quite ready to give up on Benintendi. For as much as it was painful trading away Mookie Betts, I think that Alex Verdugo has a chance to be a superstar because he has shown that star potential. I'm waiting for the power numbers to come more than they have so far, but at least you look at his shortened season, he hits over 300. He actually finishes in the top 15 in MVP voting. By far, I think, Boston's most productive offensive player last year and, you know, knows no kidding aside, I didn't really watch many Red Sox games last year out on the West Coast. What's the vibe around Verdugo as being that next franchise player? Yeah, um, I mean, you hit it on the head. He kind of is. Um, it's unfortunate that pretty much every step of the way through his career with the Red Sox, he's going to be compared to Mookie Betts because of the circumstances of how he got there. But, um, you know, his first full season, there was uh, some back stuff that um, – you know, cut a season short, so he only played about a hundred games uh, with the Dodgers before he got uh, the acquired by the Red Sox. But he had 12, 12 homers through that, and the assumption is that he can probably be, you know, somewhere close to twenty. Add in ten steals, hit three hundred. Uh, I mean, he's hit everywhere he's been. He's been really good. But even more impressive, though, has been his defense. Um, I don't think that was something that we were necessarily expecting to get out of him last year. He was tied for the major league lead in outfield assists with seven. Um, has made some great diving plays or taking runs off the board. And that really, I think, has been the piece that, like, as much of an offensive force as Mookie Betts is, he's one of the best defensive right fielders in the game as well. So it wasn't just that we were missing you know, MVP bat, uh, and it was how Verdugo was going to basically fill the hole of uh, the entire game that Mookie played. And in, the in you know, a COVID short in 2020, he did a pretty darn good job of that. Uh, hitting over 300, had six homers, four steals, and leading the league in outfield assists. I mean, that's the all-around type of game that you let go with Mookie Betts, and um, that probably just kind of adds more fuel to the comparisons, which are certainly unfair to Verdugo, but he is doing a great job of uh, easing the pain, should we say. We are here with Keaton DeRocher of the Over the Monster podcast, a part of the SB Nation podcast network. Previewing MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days, we're in Boston talking about the Red Sox. Bobby Dahlbeck came up last year and provided an insane amount of power in a short amount of time. The Red Sox first base situation is interesting to me because you've got three guys on the 40-man roster that can all play first base in Dahlbeck, Michael Chavis, and new acquisition Marwin Gonzalez. Now, Gonzalez can play all over the diamond. Chavis can play a couple of different positions, but I want to ask you about Dahlbeck. Is there feeling around the Red Sox fan base that he can be a franchise first baseman that can hit over 30 homers come two years from now? 
Yes, definitely. Um, it's kind of easy to see the holes um, in his game and think that it's another Chavis 2.0. Um, but he is just a massive man. Um, 6'4", 225, uh, he has extensive reach all over the strike zone. And what's been impressive is so he leads the Red Sox uh, with three homers so far in spring training, and they've all been opposite field homers. So not just relying on that strict just pull approach, but taking the pitch where it's given and driving it uh, all over the ballpark. That's very impressive and something that, um, as, as of right now, Michael Chavis can't do. So eight homers in 23 games last year, um, a double-digit walk rate to go with it too, and just really ex- more extensive on-base skills than we anticipated. Um, we are definitely dreaming on that. We actually, um, on the last episode of Over the Monster, did a pretty extensive dive on Dahlbeck and thought, what could his ceiling be? Um, and both my co-host and I projected over 30 home runs. I thought 32 was a good line. Uh, my co-host had 36, pushing 40. So uh, there's just there's so much to dream about with his power, but it, it does come with its lumps. Um, as much as last year was impressive, uh, he had a 42% strikeout rate, which is just far too high. Uh, and so far this spring, in 13 at-bats has eight strikeouts. Um, so we're just working on the edges of the extremes where it's either a home run or, or a strikeout so far this spring. So he needs to to reel that in. And I think a full season at the major league level with major league coaches and work is going to do wonders for him. Uh, coming off of mainly a stay in the alternate site before getting called up uh, late in 2020 for the last third of the season or so. So I'm looking for him to take major steps forward with his approach to the plate because the power is certainly undeniable. All right. I ask this question more jokingly than seriously, but it's worth asking. Have the Red Sox ever considered using Dahlbeck as a two-way guy? (laughs) Um. I don't think they have, but that would certainly be interesting. Well, you know his college background. He was a phenomenal pitcher at Arizona. Yeah. So I just find it interesting because I used to cover Cape League ball, and the team that he played for, the Orleans Firebirds in 2014, the two best pitchers that they had out of their bullpen were Dahlbeck and current San Diego Padre infielder Jake Cronenworth. So you got two former two-way guys that are rising to the ranks of great MLB infielders, or at least in the sake of Dahlbeck getting to that point. I just find it fascinating with the whole Shohei Otani craze, Brendan McKay with um, uh, Tampa Bay, that maybe it's something that they uh, experience uh, or experiment with at some point. I I was looking back at the college numbers, and I'm like, I wonder why they haven't tried this. That's a good question. I mean, given the state of the bullpen, um, it at least should be much better in 2021. But, I mean, we're grasping for arms. So uh, I think last year would have been the chance to try it if they if they wanted to go that route. But uh, hopefully they're not in a situation where they need to rely on him for any sort of amount of innings. But it certainly would be interesting and fun to watch. Kike Hernandez was a utility man, the ultimate utility man in Los Angeles. 
The Red Sox gave him a decent-sized contract, and that's the type of contract that you give to somebody to be a starter. So my question to you is, Keaton, is he your starting second baseman? Is he a starting outfielder? Or is he going to be that guy that will start at second, start in the corner outfield, do basically whatever they ask of him? Yeah, his intention this offseason was to land somewhere that would give him every day at bats. Um, And I believe in his opening press conference, he said that's why he chose Boston. Uh, he'll probably get the majority of his at-bats at second base, and he'll go into opening day as the starting second baseman. Uh, but as you pointed out, just given his super utility abilities, um, he'll get at-bats on in a, in a bunch of different positions, but he'll be the mainstay at second. Um, well, actually, I, mean, I say he, he'll be the opening day second baseman, but right now, Franchi Cordero uh, may not be ready for the beginning of the season, so they may actually need him to start in center on opening day. But the intent is for him to be the everyday second baseman, get most of his at-bats there, um, you know, spell outfielders as needed when they need days off uh, with him and Marwin Gonzalez off the bench. Uh, and he'll probably get some run at, at shortstop and other positions on given days off. But I think for the first time in his career, he'll get to be able to see a full 600, 650 plate appearance season, uh, which is something he hasn't had in his entire career, and he's still been really successful. So I'm excited to see him and how he can perform when given the reins to run over the course of an entire season. Can J.D. Martinez still play the outfield? I'm sure he can. Um, whether it you know would be serviceable, I, I'm not so sure. Um, I just think the, the back injuries are kind of catching up on him in there and it's, it's much safer to keep him out of the outfield. I'm sure in a pinch, um, interleague games are probably not going to want to take his bat out of the, the lineup, um, all that often. So he'll probably get his run, but I imagine, uh, any situation with a designated hitter, that's where he's going to be. The only reason I ask the question is that I can't, looking at this roster, envision who the third outfielder is going to be. Is it going to be Hunter Renfro? Are they going to eventually let Franchi Cordero go out there and be a starting outfielder once he's back and healthy? Are they thinking of putting Marwin Gonzalez as a starting outfielder at some point? I don't know what to think of Jairo Munoz other than the fact that he is the ultimate super utility guy that has kind of bottomed out in a couple different organizations. I just don't know how they fill out the rest of this outfield. And my initial guess was Renfro, but Renfro just seems like a guy that based on what he was in Tampa, that you can't play him every day. Yeah. I I'm actually a big Renfro fan. And, and right now, I guess um, as it stands and we'll assume for the sake of the scenario, Frenchy Cordero is uh, in the lineup on opening day. He's the center fielder. Alex Verdugo is your right fielder and Hunter Renfro is your left fielder. So he was an everyday player um, in 2019 for San Diego when he hit over 30 homers. Uh, you know, it came with like a 230 average, but he was he was productive and then went to Tampa Bay uh, and they really don't seem to believe in starters and kind of work everybody in all the time, except for maybe Austin Meadows. Um, so it, it didn't it wasn't a great situation for him to go into. And now coming back to the Red Sox as an everyday hitter. I'm expecting him to be much more like his 2019 self uh, than he was his 2020 self, um, which I think is fine. Uh, the only thing is, it's uh, they want the, so they see 
Alex Verdugo as their best defender and right field and Fenway is more difficult than center field. So the plan right now is so Verdugo to play right, Franchi center, Renfro left at home, and then away move uh, Franchi to left, Verdugo to center, and Renfro to right. <laughs> so um, it's a bit of a, a carousel there. And then in supporting roles when needed, uh, Marvin Gonzalez can play a corner to spell or based off particular matchups. Uh, and then we just talked about Hernandez as well. So that's really going to be like the five-man outfield rotation. Um, they, they plan on running a three-man bench, which is interesting given the, the expanded rosters, but they want the, the 26th man to be a pitcher. Um, so Kevin Pilecki is going to be one of those. Uh, Marvin Gonzalez is going to be the other. And that third one is kind of up for grabs, but it looks like it's probably going to be Christian Arroyo who wouldn't play in the outfield. Um, it's really between Arroyo and Michael Chavis. Chavis could play in the outfield and be a rotational guy with um, Hernandez and Gonzalez, but it looks like he's probably starting the season in AAA, even though he's having a pretty solid spring. So the the five options in outfield are Verdugo, Franchi, and Renfro with Gonzalez off the bench and Hernandez, uh, you know, able to spell guys as well. It's not a particularly deep set of outfielders, that's for sure. Um, but it is more depth than they have had recently um, when they really haven't had a any other options other than the three they were rolling out there. But as you pointed out, that was a pretty solid three. They didn't really need much backup there. So uh, it's not deep, but they, they have bodies. You brought up a name that I haven't heard in a while, and I just, as you were giving your last answer, looked up his stats on the fly. I live in San Francisco. I remember when he was first coming up that all Giants fans were just going crazy over Christian Arroyo. He was their top prospect until he was traded to Tampa Bay in the Evan Longoria trade. And I'm surprised that he hasn't been able to put it together. Do the Red Sox view him as a project, or is he basically just a major league, quote-unquote, caliber body to fill a need if they need him to, if you get an injury on the infield at some point in the season? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, he impressed the Red Sox in a pretty small sample last season, um, enough so that at least when the offseason started, uh, High and Bloom was praising him, and they were really comfortable rolling him out there to start 2021 as their starting second baseman until ultimately they came to a deal with uh, Kike Hernandez. So I, I guess I don't know if they view him as a project because they're keeping him on the 40-man roster or on the active roster at the major league level. Um, it just seems like he, he did enough to you know, tie himself to Haim Bloom and, and what the Red Sox want to do. Uh, it is interesting, though. Uh, he's still only 25. So he's certainly, you know, not near his prime yet. Just hasn't been able to put it together. I think maybe they see his long-term role as kind of that infield utility guy, um, and, and not not so much a project to work him into a starting role. But you know, what he did last year was enough to earn his way, you know, into the good graces and and keep him in the team. Um, he has been playing a bit of shortstop 
in spring as well. Obviously, that's locked down by Xander Bogarts, but just the ability to play multiple positions in the infield certainly helps his cause. Um, I think it's they're just going to settle him into that infield utility role um, and, and hope that he's able to thrive. And if not, they have Michael Chavis, they have Jeter Downs on the way, uh, they have Yairo Munoz, um, who currently leads the team in RBIs this spring. So they've got guys to fill it. I think they're just they're going to put him in a position that they and hope that he succeeds. And if not, then it's in low risk for them because they've got guys waiting in the wings who can fill that position as well. We are here with Keaton DeRocher of the Over the Monster podcast, a part of the SB Nation network. Keaton, the Fernando Tatis Jr. contract this offseason basically set the precedent for paying your stars early. And the Red Sox, they didn't pay Mookie Betts. Everybody wanted them to pay Mookie Betts because of the value that he had. Now, Mookie Betts was on the older side when he got the 12-year deal from the Dodgers, and I think that they may end up having a little buyer's remorse in the last three years of that contract. The only reason I bring that up is that that's the type of deal, maybe not to the extent, but that's the type of length of contract, maybe more like 10 years, that I feel like they're going to eventually have to give Raphael Devers. Has there been any talk around Boston about getting Devers locked up long-term because he's only 24 years of age and he's got a lot of productive baseball left in him. I mean, heck, at age 22, 23, he hit 32 homers, drove in 115 runs in a season where he hit 311. Yeah, and that that chatter started almost immediately after Mookie Betts was traded and you know the, the Red Sox front office giving the financial flexibility as the reason, and it immediately went to, well, they better use that to lock up Devers long-term. Uh, we were looking for that to happen this offseason. Uh, it didn't. Apparently, they I don't know if they even kicked off conversations about it, and maybe they're waiting until um, after this year for a new CBA before they do it. But, yeah, no, that, that started immediately, and, and we see the exact same things you pointed out, just the massive ceiling of his talent um, could certainly be an MVP candidate this year um his teammates and camp of course spring training so you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt but they're all extremely impressed he came in to the season uh leaner lighter uh in the proverbial best shape of his life but for uh a chubby guy playing third that's a good thing so uh certainly seeing the results um in camp that you'd like to see from a young guy like that um I think you're right. The length is probably going to be like 10. Um, if between now or like between the Tati deal and when hopefully eventually an extension gets done with Devers, more of those deals get done and they're pushing like 10 to 13 years, um, then they, they might, you know, have their hands tied and have to go longer with him. So it probably serves the Red Sox interest to get something done sooner and lock in that like 10 year range with him. Um, Cause having that, that contract end when he's 33, 34 uh, is much more appealing than when he's 35, 36 for sure. Um, and getting all those solid years out of Raphael Devers. Um, yeah. That's, that's something that fans at least have been calling for. It doesn't seem at least yet that the front office and management those in charge are uh, that motivated to get an extension done. But um, 
in short succession, losing Mookie Betts and Rafael Devers would be quite devastating to the fan base here. I want to move quickly to the catching situation, Keaton, before we move on to the pitching. Christian Vasquez is a free agent after this upcoming year. There is a team option on him, but he's 30 years old. Kevin Pawlecki is not a franchise catcher. He's 30 years old. The question I have for you here, are either of these guys going to end up being in Boston long term? And if not, what is their solution in regards to a franchise catcher? And if that is Vasquez, do they really want him as the franchise guy going into his early and mid thirties? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, they Connor, uh, they acquired Connor Wong in uh, the Mookie Betts deal from the Dodgers, um, who were just loaded with catching prospects, um, and that's they really the first true catching prospect they've had in the system since Blake Swihart, who they swiftly moved off of catcher um, and didn't work out. But uh, Vasquez being, I imagine they'll reach a team friendly extension with him for a couple years until um, another option presents itself, essentially until Connor Wong has, um, you know, he has a, a solid enough bat, but still needs to work on his defense um, so until his development reaches you know, what they're looking for, they'll probably keep Vasquez around unless uh, another team sees more value and wants to give him a longer term contract. It just seems like he's more valuable to the Red Sox than he would be to other teams. Uh, and so they'll find a way to keep him around. Um, but then again, we actually kind of thought the same thing with Jackie Bradley Jr. And they let him walk. So um, Pawecki had a really good 2020 and is a really solid backup catcher as you pointed out the situ the catching situation for 2021 is great probably a, a better situation than they've had in a while um but both those guys contracts are up they're on the older side i think they're really hoping that this year wong takes steps forward that they need to progress him close to the major leagues and then maybe work on a one-year deal with uh vasquez to ease wong into it but um, yeah, beyond the major league level, if Wong isn't the answer, then they don't have the answer currently in the organization. We are here with Keaton DeRocher of the Over the Monster podcast, part of the SB Nation network here on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days, previewing the Boston Red Sox. So now we're moving into the rotation. This is a rotation that looks great on paper, but it comes with a lot of concern because Chris Sale is coming off a Tommy John surgery. There doesn't really seem to be a timetable for his return. Eduardo Rodriguez had the worst case of COVID after effects of anybody in Major League Baseball. I remember reading stories that said that the myocarditis that he developed made him feel like he was 100 years old. Nate Evaldi was good, but he wasn't the Nate Evaldi that was stellar in the 2018 playoffs and it was a bounce back year from what he was in 2019 and then looking at the rest of the rotation Garrett Richards is a complete wild card and Martin Perez is okay so I mean what do you think about this rotation going into this year and does the success of the Red Sox depend on the ability to get Chris Sale back healthy and effective the ability to have Eduardo Rodriguez at his past production for the entire year 
and getting solid seasons combined in the aggregate out of Evaldi, Richards, and Perez. I know you mentioned Tanner Houck as well, but this is just a rotation to me from an outsider's view that has a lot of concerns to it. Yeah, it absolutely does. And it is certainly going to be the catalyst of this team uh, as they perform poorly, uh, which is well within the range of outcomes. Uh, The team will also suffer. And if they are performing well, um, you know, last year, the off or the uh, pitching really struggled, but the Red Sox never had issues scoring runs. It was just giving up runs. Um, that's basically going to be the same thing this year. The, the offense is really good. They're going to score runs, but it's going to be how far can the pitching take them. And I don't know they've had a rotation with as wide a range of outcomes as the current rotation because, as you pointed out, um, Eduardo Rodriguez gets back to his 2019 self. Evaldi and Richards have healthy seasons where they're better than major league average pitchers. Uh, Martin Perez is going to be what he is, but which is fine for a fourth or fifth starter. Nick Pavetta right now is penciled in as a fifth starter who had uh, two really good starts at the end of 2020. If the Red Sox feel that they've turned him around and um, you know were able to get the ceiling out of him that the Phillies weren't. Um, then this rotation has the chance to carry them to like 90, 95 wins. The reality of that happening though is incredibly slim. Uh, And what's more realistic is that it will be somewhere in the middle because uh, as you pointed out, uh, Garrett Richards and Evaldi could both have injury riddled seasons where they just don't perform up to snuff. Eduardo Rodriguez is a massive wild card. He feels great. He pitched great in his debut in spring training right now, but as the season goes on, how much of the after effects are going to linger there? You're not going to get Chris Sale back until about July, so what, if any, effect that will have? And then um, Pavetta has a history of being like a 6-ERA guy in Philly, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that he regresses there as well. And if that's the case, you know their floor is like a 65-win team, so it's the reality is probably somewhere in in the middle and they'll end up being around like, you know, 80 to 82 wins. But on paper, you're right. It, it looks like it could be a really interesting rotation. Um, but a lot of things kind of have to break right for that to happen. And I think I have the most confidence in Eduardo Rodriguez returning to form even after missing a season. But then even so, he missed the season, so how many innings are you going to get? Um, you know, teams are already looking at limiting innings for guys because of coming off of a shortened season, and he missed the entire year. So I'd be surprised if he gets – I mean, 130 seems like a solid number to me. 150 seems like I might be pushing it. I wouldn't expect much more than that because he didn't pit, he hasn't pitched competitively in over a year. So that's really tough. So even if you do get a really good Eduardo Rodriguez, you're not going to get a full season of him. Um, there's – most likely going to be missed time from Evaldi and Rodriguez, but when they are on the field, they'll be nice pieces. Uh, Martin Perez will probably lead the team in innings, but he'll have a four and a half ERA uh, and just kind of be what he is. And then the fifth spot is a bit of a wild card. They're just kind of hoping they hit on some of these wild cards. Guys like Pavetta, Hauk, uh, Garrett Whitlock, Connor Siebold, uh, who are having interesting springs but it'll probably be a revolving door there at the fifth spot between those guys and hope that one of them hits so the the pitching is definitely going to carry this team because the offense isn't going to have issues scoring runs it's just how consistent can the rotation be and the guys that they have uh, the answer is probably not all that consistent 
couple more questions here for Keaton DeRocher of the Over the Monster podcast. Keaton, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that the bullpen was abysmal, and it certainly looks to be that way. I mean, when the best name in your bullpen is Matt Barnes and you have to acquire Adam Adovino coming off the worst season he's ever had and also having to rely on Ryan Brazier as a guy that will eat up the seventh or the eighth inning, it's not a great sign. I mean, is this bullpen as bad as it looks on paper or are there some guys that we don't know about that could be productive middle relief arms? Um, I think it's slightly better than it looks on paper, um, but it's not great. That, that's for sure. Um, I mean, Matt Barnes is going to be given the first chance to close games right out of the gate, but he actually um, has led the major leagues in blown saves in 2019 and 2020. Uh, and so his successor, Adam Ottavino, you would think will probably take over at some point, but Ottavino is actually second in blown saves. I do want to say one thing before you continue. I do want to say one thing about the blown save stat. It is misleading because blown saves don't always come in save situations. Anytime that a relief pitcher gives up a lead, he is credited with a blown save, even though it might not be in a safe situation. I just wanted to throw that out there so that people realize that maybe that stat isn't as bad in regards to Ottavino and Barnes as it may look. It probably isn't as bad for Ottavino because he wasn't closing in New York. However, uh, Barnes was the closer for his. So his his unfortunately are true. Um, but he... He's come into the season embracing it and has said that he wants to be the closer and he's he's you know, working in that closer mentality, having that mindset. I just don't feel great about it because his walk issues tend to catch up with him. And the difference between him and Ottavino, uh, who, who also has walk issues, is Ottavino is able to limit the damage by not giving up fly balls. Barnes' issue is he gives up far too many. And so he ends up just getting hammered on the days where he's off. So I don't, I don't feel super great about having either of those as the back-end option. I think really the X factor is going to be the new addition of Hirokazu Sawamura uh, from Japan, who Cora has already said he, at least to start, is not going to put him in uh, closing situations. He's going to give Barnes and Manavino the first chances at it. I think if Barnes and Manavino have bounce-back seasons uh, and are more 2019 than they were 2020, uh, Darwin's and Hernandez continuing to develop. Uh, it seems like they may have found something here with Garrett Whitlock, who's having a great spring. This guy who can fill in. Sawamura has been a solid reliever in Japan, which doesn't always translate to the, to the U.S., but uh, might be better served in a reliever role. Um, it could, I mean, it certainly has to be better than what it was last year. They've, um, you know, waived or DFA'd about half the pitchers they had in the bullpen from last year because they actually have major league caliber relievers this season, which is something they didn't have last year. So it's, it should be much better, but much better than basically as worse as it could possibly be is still may not be very good. So I think it's not something that um, the structure of the bullpen now, I think is certainly not going to be what the structure of the bullpen looks like come September um, and may have, you know, completely restructured roles, but there's, reason for optimism in the bullpen i'd say final question here for you keaton as i go through the american league east and as we've done these 30 teams in 30 days previews 
you are the fourth AL East team that we've done, the fifth that we have not yet done, the New York Yankees. I see the American League East as being a top three in this order of the Yankees, Blue Jays, and Rays. I see the Red Sox fourth. Am I wrong in that assessment? And if I am wrong, what is going to have to go right for the Red Sox to potentially compete for that second wild card? No, I think you're spot on. That's exactly how I have the division two. And I, I did a, a season preview um, a couple weeks ago at Over the Monster. And that's exactly how I had it, that that exact same uh, order. For things to go right, it's all going to depend on the starting pitching. Um, I mean, last year it was it was hard to watch, but they struggled to get starters through four innings. Uh, I think they went three weeks into the season before they had a, a starting pitcher pitch into the fifth, which is just not going to cut it to <laughs> major league level. So, um, you know, I said before the team is really going to go as far as the starting pitching can carry them. And, and if all of those guys, Eduardo Rodriguez hits, if uh, Evaldi and Richards are healthy, um, they find someone to stick in that fifth starters position and you get, um, you know, Chris Sale, maybe not all the way back to form, but 80, 85% of what, you know, true Chris Sale is for the second half of the season. All that's going to have to go right, and if it does, then they they could be, you know, closer to eighty seven, eighty eight wins and and pushing for that wild card spot. But I just think they'll probably be too inconsistent throughout the season to to get there. But there'll be points at the season where they're they're pushing for a playoff spot, but probably will ultimately fall short. You can follow him on Twitter at the Spoken Keats. You can also follow Over the Monster at Over the Monster on Twitter. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keaton, before I let you go, anything else that you would like to plug? Or did I get it all in there? You got it all. That's it, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster, previewing the Boston Red Sox on MLB Morning Coffees, 30 teams in 30 days. Tomorrow, we go back to the NL Central to preview the St. Louis Cardinals. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.